You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Looking at together, and he's doing that in order to describe for us an important reality concerning the people of God's kingdom in the present age. Just before we get to that, in this section of Matthew 13, as I mentioned at the beginning, he actually gives us three parables. There's the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, and then the parable of the yeast. And the thing that holds all of this together, the big theme that runs through the middle of this section, is Jesus is presenting to us some big truths concerning God's kingdom which of course is the big theme of the whole chapter really, but specifically here, he is speaking about the kingdom of God in relation to the existence of evil in the world. And he does that in three stages. First, he describes the present reality of the kingdom's coexistence with evil. Second, he then encourages his people by describing the kingdom's ongoing advancement over evil. And third, he describes the certainty of the kingdom's final separation from evil. And so tonight we're going to take these one at a time. First, the present reality, the kingdom's coexistence with evil. Now again, the symbolism is Uh, I think fairly straightforward. Jesus explains from verse 37, the sower is Christ himself. The seed this time stands for God's people rather than his word. The weeds are those who belong to the evil one. That is all who have not turned from sin and come to salvation in Christ. The enemy who influences those people who inspires them in the world is the devil himself, Satan. And then in the parable itself from verses 24 to 30, Jesus is really teaching us here three big truths concerning God's kingdom. We'll come back to the third one later on, but here are the first two. First, he's saying as Christians, as long as we live in the current age, that is the age between the first and second coming of Christ, we will grow up and live side by side with evil and with sin, and with wickedness, by virtue of the fact that we do live in a world that is no longer as God created it to be, but it is a fallen world. In verse 25, he says, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. It is a picture of the reality of this fallen world in which God's chosen people in Christ coexist alongside great evil. We'll come back to that later on. And second, he's saying that as Christians, notwithstanding our calling to be people who stand for truth and for justice and for good things in the world, at the same time, we're to avoid the temptation to attack, to fight back, to want to destroy the proponents of evil in the world. Verse 27, he says, the owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? 
Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? It's kind of really zealous question that, isn't it? From the servants. Reminds me of uh, when I was at school, you know, and you used to hear people saying, do you fancy a square go? You know, I don't know if they use that kind of language in Dundee, but that was the kind of language they used when someone was uh, offering to have a fight with another person. They used to have a, a hill just outside our school called the Moat Hill, and you'd hear boys speaking about going to the Moat Hill at lunchtime. This is where they had their fight, and there'd be this aggressive kind of question. Do you want a square go? This is, this is kind of like the, serv- the servants saying, do you want us to go and sort this out to their master? No, he answered, Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Now let me just mention one of the mistakes that I think is often made here in relation to this parable. It is a popular view, but I believe it's incorrect. It's often the case that people understand this parable to be speaking not about good alongside evil in the world but instead good alongside evil in the physical church. But there's two problems with that understanding. First of all, it's very clear in the scriptures that whilst on the one hand we're clearly not to go around trying to scrutinize every person in the church and turfing people out if we don't think that we like them or we don't think that they are true believers, at the same time, there is a clear distinction in the scriptures between how God's people are to respond to ongoing public sin and evil in the church in comparison to the way that we're to respond to evil in the world. I don't have time to go into that in any great detail, but you can read about that further in uh, other places, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18 and a few other places as well. But secondly, Jesus actually spells out for us here in verse 38 that the field he speaks about is symbolic, not of the physical church, but of the world in which we live. Now again, having said all of that, it is clearly the case that there will be believers and unbelievers mixed together in the physical church until the second coming of Christ. We're to understand that, we're to accept that, and be patient about that and gracious about that. But the primary intention here is to remind Christ's people that until his second coming, we will need to be patient, persevering, and steadfast in the knowledge that this world, with all of its evil and sin and fallenness and difficult things that are happening on the news or we see on the news every single day, in the knowledge that this world is not our true home. We are pilgrims on the way to another land. We are pilgrims on the way to the celestial city. Now, why would this reality check be such an important thing? Let's just think about this in the context, first of all, of the first century and in the context of our own lives today. In the first century, we need to remember that there would be many people amongst the people of God who were expecting a very different Messiah to the one who turned up. They were expecting a king who would bring about revolution, 
who would liberate his people immediately and in a physical sense, who would bring instant peace on earth, one who would put an end to Roman oppression, who would overthrow the empire so that these things would be an instant thing of the past. But what happened? Not only was their leader and saviour and messiah ultimately executed, but then within the space of, what, 20 or 30 years, all of these apostles and the followers of Christ would find themselves not only marginalised and ostracised and on the fringes of society, but in many cases they would be tortured and they would be executed on account of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so in the face of all of that, is it not possible that God's people would want to fight back? That they would want to take up arms just like Peter did? Do you remember when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus? And in the same way for us today, isn't it the case, if we're being honest, when we look out sometimes at the world around us and we see politicians often driven by an anti-Christian mindset. We see our children sometimes being taught outright lies in school. We see a Christian bed and breakfast owner being fined for not allowing immorality to take place in his own house. We see hospital chapels no longer called chapels, but instead the multi-faith space. Isn't it true that you sometimes look out at all of that And you just want to react. You just want to do something. You want to rip the whole thing up. You want to grab hold of some of these prickly weeds that are not of God. And you want to just say, enough of this nonsense. But what did Jesus say? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And what is very poignant here is not only does Jesus make it clear that we are not to go ripping up the weeds, that that is not the way of his kingdom, but he then goes on to give us the encouragement we need to be this people who are persevering, who are patient, who are steadfast and resolved to standing firm and to continuing with Christ until the end. Because the second big thing he highlights for us here is the kingdom's ongoing advancement. It's relentless advancement in the face of evil and over evil. Look at verse 32. He told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man too can plant it in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now again, much the same way as we thought about this morning, why does Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, place these two further parables right in the middle of the telling of this main parable and its explanation? I mean, why didn't Jesus 
the explanation of his parable come immediately after his telling of that parable. I mean, that would make more sense, surely, in English terms. But again, the reason God has ordered things in this way is that these brief little stories have a profound bearing on our ability to do what we've just been thinking about in regards to the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds. In the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus is effectively saying, yes, today you're very much in the minority. And yes, today you're bound to feel at times as if this good seed is going to be completely and utterly engulfed by these weeds. Because the church, like a mustard seed, often has the appearance of being very weak. It is marginalized. It is relatively small. It seems so insignificant in this big, bad world. But don't forget that this small and seemingly insignificant seed has been planted and is being nurtured by the one who made the world. And it is his plan that this seed will grow relentlessly to the point when, like the grandest of trees in the garden, it will have absolute supremacy and dominion and it will utterly eclipse every other thing. So that just as this small, fragile bird so vulnerable it seems, is one day able to perch in the safety of this mighty oak tree in the garden once it is fully grown. So too he's saying at the appointed time, don't forget the fact that you will be raised up, that you will be able to live above and beyond all of the evils that today might threaten you and might cause you to be downhearted and might cause you to struggle from one day to the next. And then if that describes the reality of this kingdom advancement in the world, he then reminds us in verse 33 of the reason that that ultimate victory, the consummation of God's kingdom, must wait. Why it is not now, why it is not today. Now my expertise in making bread is about as good as my knowledge of farming which is really not very good at all. But apparently, when yeast is inserted into dough to make bread, what happens is that it continues this process of fermentation until the whole batch has risen. And so in the same way, Jesus is simply saying, in order to encourage this perseverance, patience and steadfastness in the midst of evil. Don't forget that my kingdom cannot be consummated until the gospel has reached and percolated through to people of every tribe and tongue. Until my word has impacted every sphere of human life, which he has first determined that it must in the perfect counsel of his own sovereign will. Now, Just think about this, friends. If Jesus was saying these two parables in the context of what would have been surely a tiny population of Christians in the first century, how much more 
Should you and I as believers here in Dundee tonight be encouraged, given the fact that we live at a time when we can trace history and we can see at least the partial fulfillment of these very prophecies? Because it's amazing, isn't it? Just to think that at this time, there would have been, I don't know, something like a few hundred, maybe a thousand, a few thousand followers of Jesus Christ. I don't know the exact figures at this time, if that. And yet today, there's something like over two billion professing Christians throughout the world. Apparently in Iran, 30 or 40 years ago, there were something like 40,000 professing Christians. Think about it, friends. We're talking about Iran, where you can be jailed, tortured, and executed for your faith. 40,000, 30, 40 years ago. Today, 400,000 professing Christians. When I was ministering in Cyprus over the summer, it was a tiny little church in Limassol, and we had people from the Philippines, we had people from Hungary, We had people from South Korea. We had Iranians and a Scottish family as well. Isn't it absolutely unbelievable? And why? Because when Jesus spoke about mustard seeds and tall trees and birds in branches and yeast in bread, he was not playing around with words. He was promising the most fundamental of realities that his kingdom will advance. It will be brought to completion. I will build my church, he said, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That leads us to our final truth concerning God's kingdom. First, the kingdom's present coexistence with evil. Second, the kingdom's ongoing advancement over evil. And third, Jesus speaks of the kingdom's final separation from evil. First in verse 30, speaking of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus says, let them both grow together until the harvest. First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then in verse 40, he says, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Now, no one could possibly make this, mistake this for just meaningless symbolism, could we? He's speaking here about something that is real. This is going to happen. The Son of Man will send out his angels And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Someone once said, The good news is, God is here. And the bad news is, God is here. In other words, it simply depends which side of the line you fall on. Whether you stand with Jesus Christ, whether he is the captain of your soul, 
the Lord of your life, the forgiver of your sins, or whether he is your enemy. And the same thing is true here. There's both a wonderful encouragement in these words, but there's also the most solemn warning. The encouragement is that for those of us who are tempted to be downhearted and despairing and grieved and troubled, often by the oppressiveness and the influence and often just the sheer impact and influence and of evil in the world, the encouragement is that these things are going to end. They are a temporary and a fleeting reality from which God's people in Christ are going to be eternally delivered. There will be no more pain. There will be no violence and hatred and wickedness and rape and murder and abuse and war and famine and all of these things in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. They are going to be finished with. But of course with that comes this solemn warning. Because it's here we're also reminded that to be someone who continues in sin, who never comes to accept and acknowledge and repent of their own sinfulness and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as personal saviour is to be someone who will one day be bound together with all that is evil, all that is against God and thrown into this furnace that is called hell. There will be no turning back. There will be no chance of escape and it will be for the rest of eternity. Isn't it true that one of the problems that we have, maybe in the church in our day, we were thinking kind of about this this morning, is that we find it so easy, friends, to speak about mustard seeds and birds nestling in trees. We'll acknowledge these things all day, but we're not so keen to think about, to comprehend, to acknowledge the existence of this reality which Jesus spoke about more than anyone else in the whole of Scripture. The reality of this warning, the reality of an eternal place of condemnation. But I believe that if we did, if we would humble ourselves and rejoice in accepting the whole counsel of God as it comes to us in the word, just as we were saying to the children earlier, not just the places where we are comforted, which of course we need the love and the mercy of God, but the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the perfect justice of God, which was ultimately satisfied on the cross of Calvary, then I believe, acknowledging this whole counsel, all that he reveals himself to be and all that will happen in the end, I believe our lives would be so changed. We would be more reverent in praise and our church would bear greater fruit. And so just in closing, three things that we must bear in mind from these passages. First, we must be realistic that in this lifetime, we will coexist alongside evil. Second, the way to be patient and persevering and steadfast in that context is to keep our eyes fixed 
on the bigger context that there is a master planner who is building his church. That we are on the victory side in Christ. The Lord is King of kings and Lord of lords tonight. It is an objective statement of reality. It is not a subjective statement. He reigns supremely and over all things tonight. And he promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And third, we must be watchful and we must be alert in the knowledge that with every second that passes, the glorious and the awful reality of heaven and hell are moving closer. Let us pray together. Our Lord and Saviour and King, we thank you that you have made such wonderful promises to those who love you and those you have brought to yourself that you are building your church and it will be brought to completion. We thank you, our Lord, that on the basis alone of your perfect life, your atoning death and your glorious resurrection, we have this wonderful hope, treasure in jars of clay, the wonderful future of eternity in the place of your dwelling where we will be able to worship you where we will be able to be basking in the radiance of the glory of your face that shines like the noonday sun oh God until then we pray that you would help us to be ever mindful of your promises that when we turn to you, we turn to a saviour who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Lord, as people who have received these promises, we pray for those we know and those we love who have not. And we ask that you might use our lives, that we might be your light in this world, individually and collectively here in this St. Peter's congregation, a light in the darkness of Dundee. We remember and we thank you for our pastor here, the Reverend David Robertson and our friend. We thank you for him and we pray that your blessing would be upon him this night, that all who have heard him speak in these recent days would be brought to Christ. Father, as we go from this place we ask that you would watch over us we ask that you would enable us to put on the full armor of God to stand firm and to live lives that shine like stars in the universe and that speak of who you are and your glory how wonderful you are oh God we praise you and we worship you and we marvel at all that you have given to us the person 
of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.